Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for discerning seekers, where we have all the community and none of the cult. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. This podcast is a deep dive into leadership, personal growth, spirituality, self-help, psychology, all the things we need to be more fully human, connect with our inner wisdom, and be the leader we want to see in the world. What it's not is a cookie-cutter formula or full of culty tactics dressed up in charisma. If you're a long-time listener, you probably noticed a slightly different intro than usual. We're turning up the volume of this podcast and heading for new territory. There's lots of reasons for that. They will become clear in the next couple of episodes, but some of it started showing up a bit early in this fabulous conversation with Adapia Derrico. Before I introduce Adapia, a little bit of housekeeping and promo for the show. We have had some phenomenal guests of late, and I get so many solicitations for guests, it would make your head spin. Most of them are formula cookie cutter stuff, so most of them go ignored. I'm always on the lookout for guests who can bring something unique, who can teach us something, but who aren't caught up in the whole guru thing of shortcuts, unlocking some kind of a secret code or handshake or any nonsense like that. We are after depth here because though I haven't said it until now, the practice is to practice discernment. That's a huge part of the journey. So here's the part where um, I do something that makes me uncomfortable. I am asking for support. I do this every time and I know that I suck at it, but it's time to get over it because for all intents and purposes, I'm leaving coaching behind. There are reasons for that that I'll share in a solo episode or a blog, but bottom line, my post-pandemic life needs to swing back to my true journey, which had nothing to do with coaching. And yes, podcasting is staying. I'm throwing out the bathwater and keeping the baby. There's a number of ways that you can support me and free your inner guru during this time of transition and beyond. I do know that this past year has been brutal financially for many. It certainly was for us. But if you can afford a few dollars each month to support me as a creator, become a patron on Patreon and know that you're supporting a small independent podcaster who happens to be me. There's other options. Some are more active, some are more passive. The more active one is join the leadership community. This community is for you if you want to connect with other listeners of the podcast in real life and with me. There are two live Zooms every month, and I've chosen a pay-what-you-can model starting at $25 a month. This, I hope, will make it accessible to anyone who wants to join. Consider an investment in your personal growth, psychology, self-help, leadership, and all of that. It's a wonderful environment hosted on Discourse, run live on Zoom. There's an information page at freeyourinnerguru.com. I know I need to get a video up there to explain it more, but you're hearing this. So this is basically the audio for the video, but I'm podcasting and pretty much in my PJs. So there's no accompanying video. Anyhow, there is an information page at Free Your Inner Guru. The community is great value. They're super intelligent, intuitive, kind-hearted, empathetic, compassionate people in the founding group. That is the vibe for the tribe, so to speak. And I can't say enough of the quality of the connection 
and community. So instead of using connection and community as a marketing lever to sell you something else, which is very common, the value of pretty much everything that I've ever done in the transformational leadership world has been in the company that I've kept, the friendships that I've made, the relationships that I've nurtured. And this is an intentional environment where I'm hoping you will experience the same. And uh, in this environment where where I can experience the same as well. So it's totally guru-free and full of great people doing wonderful things in the world. Okay, time. Oh, I forgot to mention the passive way to support. Wander over to freeyourinnerguru.com slash shop and check out the hoodies, the t-shirts, and the notebooks. They're gorgeous. They're such high quality. They're sustainably produced. In the case of the hoodies and t-shirts, shipping in Canada and the US is included in the price and there's a small additional charge for around the world. The first hoodie went out to Sweden. So exciting. Um, I can't say enough. The design by Ken Chong is fun. It's kind of got a life is good vibe if you're familiar with that brand. And uh, the, the t-shirts are amazing quality. The athletic top is beautifully done in vinyl and the hoodies, the design is stitched. I can't say enough. We have about four of them in our household and uh, I've tried all this stuff out for before bringing it out. So check them out and use the code launch 15 for 15% off any of the apparel or notebooks. Okay. That was a mouthful. Time to take a breath and introduce our guest. Adapia Derrico is a global visionary leader, entrepreneur, investor, powerful keynote speaker, and author of Productive Intuition, Connecting to the Subtle. I love that. Connecting to the Subtle. Adapia has co-founded businesses, launched brands, and redefined industries. She is a respected fintech entrepreneur and real estate investment executive known for her role in launching the estate crowdfunding industry into the mainstream. Challenge has been Adapia's teacher. From leaving her first marriage to a viral goal cast video gone wrong, Adapia shares her multi-year journey to connect with her inner authority. Her book, Productive Intuition, is one of the results of that journey. It's a powerful resource for learning how to connect with and harness the power of your inner guru, which makes Adipia a perfect guest for our show. We begin with Adipia's story and quickly move into an exploration of the light and dark sides of leadership, corporate life, and the transformation industry. Next up are strategies you can use to become more integrated in your approach to life and why everyone doesn't need to become a coach for a new paradigm of leadership to emerge. You might be wondering if I'm down on coaching. No, I'm not. What I am up on is everyone moving into their full expression in life. And when you hear Adapia and you get to know her a little bit, as I did in this conversation, you're going to see and feel and hear what that sounds like. 
So it's my great pleasure to introduce a conversation with Adapia Derrico. Enjoy. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, Adapia. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, Laura, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Thank you for having me. You've written a really big book here. It's called Productive Intuition. And I do want to get into your story in terms of how you got on your journey into really learning about the power and necessity of tuning into your inner wisdom and and what brought that to you. Challenge is the teacher, right? Challenge is is the thing that that causes us to rise up and see exactly how strong we are in in facing it and overcoming it and, and integrating it. And I would say I had two big moments with my intuition. The first one was in 2011, when after nine years of being in a marriage that was really something I had trapped myself in, that 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 was a moment that really woke me up, and I realized I hadn't been listening to my intuition all of these years, just years and years of just living for other people, trying people pleasing in a way, but so much at my own expense, like physically, mentally, emotionally. And that was my first moment of, of release. It was like an extreme release and, and liberation, not only for myself, but also for my ex-husband, we were both miserable and nobody would say it like, so I liberated us. And then the second moment was in 2017, when at really the pinnacle position of my career. I started working in a bank when I was 18. At that point, I was 38 years old. I was the COO of a fintech firm. So like pretty much like pinnacle. I left that. I left that career. A lot of things had been going right. Taking that last role, I knew I shouldn't have taken it again. I knew it, but I didn't listen. And and I left that role. I thought I was going to be a coach. I thought I was going to be a blogger. I thought I would. I started my podcast. There's all these things that I wanted to do in service to others. But we'll call it infinite intelligence, God, source, spirit, the universe. My soul had like other plans for me, which was a complete dissolution of my ego. It was my big spiritual awakening. And it really led me to have to go so deep inside to really understand not who am I in a mystical sense, but who am I? What are my values? What am I really after in this world? Like, why am I chasing all these ideas constantly of what I think are success and not really understanding what that is to me? And that took me on a multi, multi multi-year journey that was both practical in that sense, and also extremely mystical. And now I live in a place where I just try to be really integrated. I went back to business and just, I, I have to show up entirely as myself because I, I can't be unbalanced in one world or the other. It's interesting that you should present it that way, because in a way you've described my journey in, in 2020. So even now, and I know you'll agree, it is an ongoing journey. There isn't an, an arrival point where it's like, oh, awakened one, enlightened one, you're never going to make a mistake again. You're going to be completely intuitive. Oh. And <laughs> for the listeners, she's laughing. And so... This year with the pandemic, literally in March of last year on vacation, and I feel very fortunate and also very privileged to have been on vacation in uh, Kauai and Maui Mm -hmm. in March of 2020. We got home just in time. But that first week of just, it wasn't really clear what was going to happen with the pandemic yet, although it was. I was on Kauai talking to a friend of mine who who is a coach, who is who was with me on my journey um, in 2008 and 2009 and almost like screaming out to the Pacific ocean. I really think I need to 
burn this down. I'm, I'm not, how did I get to where I'm not feeling myself? And it came from suppressing all of my creative expression, mm-hmm. my writing, my, my photography. And I heard when you were saying about really thought I was going to be the blogger, really thought I was going to be the coach. There is a whole separate conversation about what is it that everyone, including me, thinks that, okay, I'm going to now coach this stuff. (laughs) When you're still in it. Yeah, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) When there's all kinds of good that can be done in the world and and that, that needs to be done in the world outside of the world of coaching. So you went back to business and when you went back to business, did you start to approach it in a different way? How did you bring your the the change in you and the transformation in you back to business? I'm very interested in this. Oh, yeah. It was a uh, it took a couple years cuz I really went through a very traditional by definition dark night of the soul. Like it was out of control, like my whole life, my whole sense of self like total unraveling mystical experiences and also just very like practical, also just really practical ones. And so it took me a while, but the key moment was when I I was, I brought down to my knees, like you talk about screaming into the Pacific ocean. I was shaking my fist at the sky, just being so angry, so mad. I was like, I'm just so mad. Nothing's working. And I said these words And I didn't, they just came out of my mouth because I was angry. I was unfiltered. And I said, all I want is good partners that want me to be me. I don't want to be a solopreneur. Like, I don't want to be a solopreneur. These words come out of my mouth and I'm crying. Like I'm broken. Like I wasn't making any money. I had a house under construction. I, I was dissolving. I couldn't explain what was happening to my husband. Like everything was just all of it. I was like this melting thing that was just like angry. And in that anger, I stated my needs very clearly. Mm. And three days later, I got a call from who are now my business partners, just out of the blue, just completely out of the blue. And I knew them. It's not like I didn't know them before because there's threads. They didn't just Mm -hmm. pop up, Mm -hmm. but they approached and said, basically, we'd like you to be our partner at this private equity firm. And I was like, no, you got to be kidding me. This is not even possible. And then I started to realize these moments are possible. And then the journey in short has been, because I still had that piece of me that wanted to serve and I couldn't quite reconcile it. And I had already like undertaken certain things. So let's say for a good year, I was following through on the things that I had started. So public speaking, I gave that keynote speech. I did leadership work for women because I am a 20 year woman executive. Like Mm -hmm. I have a lot to teach in that way too, but I was flip-flopping between everything that I was understanding about myself spiritually and just like a different way to, to approach it. And so my way to come back into business where I've landed and what feels really good and integrated is not to have an identity around any of it. I don't identify as just a a partner in a private equity firm or an investor. I don't identify as a spiritual leader. God forbid for me, that's just not what I want to identify with. Like I don't allow the spiritual ego that really rose up as I was figuring myself out to take the place of the business ego that was there before. Right. Cause you're just trading in one for the other at that exactly. point. Yeah. That's what we do. And we don't necessarily realize it. And then we'll like shame 
the person we were, which is what I did, I definitely shamed my career choices. And because I started to understand these other truths, like real universal truths and laws. And and so I, I was constantly trying to integrate them and unravel them and get underneath them and drive myself crazy. And then fundamentally, it was just a function of just show up as yourself in everything that you do without trying to be anything different than who the, the culmination of all of your experiences and your understanding of things. And so when I meet people, they, even in a business setting, like I'll have really deep conversations with them. We get into it and, and it just opens and it just opens, but I'm not there to preach, but it, it does come up. And that piece of true authenticity is really being all of yourself and being extremely vulnerable. Like I tell a lot of my stories because I've had so many challenges and I'm, I don't want to with my head <laughs> and my ego. I certainly don't want to, but I'm compelled to. Where does the, just to cover off your backstory, because I have a feeling it'll come up later if I don't. My understanding is that you gave the talk and all went well. Mm-hmm. And then it was picked up by Goalcast. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. which put it out to a different audience, a, a larger audience. And I have some experiences with larger audiences myself. When a larger audience comes in, sometimes it doesn't land with them or a portion of that larger audience in the same intent and spirit as the room that it was in, intended for. And it went nuts. So tell us what happened to whatever amount of detail that you want to, I think emerging from the challenge of really vicious treatment online has to figure somewhere into your journey. It does. It does. If we're at the fall of 2017, when I left that position and I started this like spiritual seeking and what have you, I had, I had agreed to be a speaker at an event called truth telling for truth seekers keynote speech, which was actually my first, I had never given such a speech before in my life. And that happened in April of 2018. When at that point, at that point I had, let's say had that call from my current now colleagues around end of February, early March. So 2018 was me finishing off things that I said I would start. So I gave the speech in a 1400 person theater in call it a safe space. Cause anybody who's showing up to an event called truth telling for truth seekers knows that they're going to get some really vulnerable stories. And that's what they're there for to share in this like human connection of telling your story. And so it was great. It was amazing. The work I did to excavate that story of leaving my marriage, which was that story, that was deep shadow work. That was an intense shadow work. And so I presented. Goldcast contacted me in about October. They said, hey, we love it. We want to make make one of our videos. No cost to you. It's just something that we do. We're going to make it go viral. And I thought, fabulous. That's fantastic. Wow. Like I got this like little bit of hope around my like wanting to serve and, and still honestly, like truly a lot of ego around wanting to be seen, which is an ego I've dissolved. But back then I really was like, oh, I want to be out front. I want to be seen like through helping. And the video came out unbeknownst to me because I didn't get to participate in its creation, which is an efficiency thing for them, of course, because Any creator is going to be like, no, change this, change that. They're never going to get anything done. So it comes out 
And the first, the first notion of it coming out was I got a random DM in my Facebook saying, you're a fraud, you're a horrible person, and you should be ashamed of yourself, which pretty much sums up the whole theme of what happened with that video and the theme of shame being a, a massive underlying psycho-emotional construct that I've dismantled because I still held shame around the whole marriage situation. And even though I tried to sidestep it and I tried not blame him and I took full responsibility for all of it because my speech was about trusting yourself. My speech was about honoring yourself. And by doing it though, what I did is I made myself a perpetrator in a lot of people's eyes. And so this video has 40 million views by now. And just it, the trolls got it first and then they oh. piled on and it was game over. That's interesting because I went and I saw it on, on YouTube and I did see a, quite a number of supportive comments, but that must've also come in afterwards. And it, it goes to show you when you, and I think I have empathy in that I actually don't have to go far for empathy because of the projects that I've participated in, like the documentary Enlighten Us and the Wondery Guru, the Dark Side of Enlightenment. I didn't have control, the creative control, storyline control, or any kind of sense of timing control. I showed up and just as I do, did the best I could to represent, you know, myself represent my peers, speak as I perceive it to truth and just show up and have that story be present in the world. And then it's never gone to trolls, but it's definitely been construed in ways that that I was very deeply uncomfortable with and caused quite a, quite like years of distress, which recently I have begun to deconstruct. Which brings me back, I jotted down, you used some language there that I want to clarify and and get into with you a little bit. You talked about the ego dissolution, or I've dissolved that. Can you explain what you mean by that? It's It's not language I would necessarily use. However, I think it might do a very good job of describing what's happening right now with this darker, heavier, shamey aspect. Mm-mm-mm. Oh yeah. Okay. For sure. Okay. So we'll get into it. Let's get right into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cause it's language is limiting. <laughs> so I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do my best when we begin any work, right? It's this identifying that which is causing us some kind of suffering, like whatever's causing us can call it a limiting belief. It's a negative narrative. Like usually there's a story around something that we unbeknownst to ourselves are telling ourselves where we've constructed a narrative. We've taken us a very fixated crystallized position. Other people have their crystallized roles and positions and everything that's happened. So it's a binary perspective essentially to identify it, to name it is the first step in being able to start to dissolve it. Or you can think of it as like unraveling, like you start to, that's the first piece and you unstick the stitch and then it'll start to, to come apart slowly and you want to pull it apart. The pulling apart is going into it. It's going into that story 
going into that. It's usually something in the past, right? So it's like going into it. I call it a process of compassionate re-experiencing, which means seeing yourself with deep compassion. It's not re-experiencing to like feel it again and to feel all the shame come up again. Cause most of the time what's crystallizing it in place is shame and self-judgment mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. when we can see it. And when we can see ourselves for who we were at that time and really with love to really see what we thought about ourselves is actually completely incorrect. Right. We we've told the story, but really if we look at it with the lens of compassion, I think you said this earlier, we've always just all the time we're doing the best that we can. And we begin to dissolve the hard crystallized story of you got that wrong. And the more we can self-reflect, the more we can forgive ourselves, like true application of forgiveness and compassion and self-love, like truly even saying the words to ourselves or feeling that towards ourselves in that place, it's an energetic and it's an emotional, like it is like a dissolving, like it starts to go away. And there's plenty of energetic practices that we can use as well to help with it. But fundamentally it starts with awareness and seeing ourselves from a completely different lens. And for me, that shame lens, that shame story was so heavy and it was so multi-layered that I thought I had gotten over it by giving the speech the first time, but in reality, it was still there. And so I had to go back and see that for myself. And I had a, I realized when the trolling was happening, that everything everyone was saying to me, except for the people that thought I should kill myself, but everything people were saying to me was like, Hey, babe, I've said that to myself. Yep. And then it was like, So somewhere inside of me, I still was holding some kind of energetic charge and how I dissolved it or released it was because I refused to watch that gold cast video for months and months. Cause I was so traumatized. Like I was like legitimately traumatized. I couldn't open my socials. I had other guy, my husband, like checking my emails. Cause I would get it from all, it was crazy. It was all sides for months. And finally, I worked up the courage because this is the challenge. It's always the facing of the challenge. You got to turn around and face it. Yep. And I was like, okay, oh my God, I got to watch this video again. Like butterflies in my stomach, like heart in my throat. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm in like finger shaking as I hit play. And I watched the video and I was like, wait a second. This is a beautiful video. And hold on a minute. I didn't get anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I got nothing wrong. And I say, I still get, I'll still get this chill up and down my body. That was the moment where I let myself go. I released myself. And then I haven't no shame. And you know what? They've reissued that video plenty of times. I have not had one other single negative comment directed at me ever since. Isn't that something? And now you've got me tingling. It's so true. It's, and I think listeners will appreciate this because as I said to you, it's not a podcast for beginners, which is why I make sure I get to page 330 to, to get the good stuff. And, and when even like recently, and this will come in future episodes because, but I'll just in broad strokes share that I just found out Enlighten Us has been re-released on Amazon. 
And there are things about that documentary that are uh, deeply uncomfortable and it do- I'm not fussed at all. In fact, I'm actually a little happy because people are now more interested in seeing it, I think, because of the dynamics in it that are represented are very well represented in society mm. these days. And so there's an interest in looking at these dynamics of leader and the led and guru and the, the learners and guru and the seekers and toxic leader and the followers. So it's at, we're steeped in it in this crisis that that we're having globally. So I'm actually happy about that. But what I got very triggered on again, not that long ago, while I was writing my memoir was was something around cults, because we always get positioned adjacent to or or get called cult followers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm on I was like, I can't, I went through the whole thing again. I'm like, really, 12 years later, I'm feeling triggered and ashamed. And I was like, this is the only time I feel this way. Is it finally, it's almost like that very guru kind of thing to say, but when would now be the time to look at that? Mm. So I opened my journals and, and I, and it helped me to see that intuition isn't the only topic for this podcast. Like mm-hmm. part of freedom is becoming aware of the dynamics that, that involves like toxic influence undue influence, cult dynamics, because you're not free when you're in that kind of situation. And it took a very long time. Like some of these things take time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a big statement. And I'm so glad you're doing that with the podcast because intuition is one thing. It's multiple things that operate within us to be called intuition, but the fundamental purpose of it is that it's a guidance system. But it's not the work to true freedom, as you said, is to go inside and I'll call it unravel, dissolve, unlock, like all of this, this it's conditioning that is part of the human journey and we can't escape it because we literally are like in a hypnotic brainwave state for the first seven years of our lives. There's like plenty of science around this and psychologists have been talking about it forever. And so we pick up from other people from the world around us. And then we live that life. We're not living our own life until we go inside and dismantle all of it. And 2020 was a great example of deeply embedded conditioning that that finally came up for people to see, which was shocking. Like I'm here in LA, I'm in the US. And so I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the deeply embedded racism. And I'm Canadian. And it was a shock to me. I, I didn't understand how embedded it was or is. And so, yeah, to your point, like even just from a perspective of cult, and we can talk about this because when I started going through my, my awakening in 2017, like I went into that spiritual world and I came running out the other side. What, and you allude to something like that early on and it's just, there's it's to me and I'm very sensitive. So mm-hmm. I'll pick up, I'll pick up on it, then ask myself, all right, am I making this up? And then watch it through the book. So mm-hmm. you've woven this sub narrative around, and I have on my notes here, dark trend and transformation from early on. Mm-hmm. And is that what you meant by that? Was what did you what do you characterize as that that darker trend? 
Yeah. And this is where the intuition comes in too, because this is where we really have to listen to, to however we receive intuition that's going to say, this is an alignment. This feels good. Energetically, I feel uplifted. This is an alignment. And when something is out of alignment with anything. And what I have come to notice, because I approached it from a very linear, logical, analytical, left brain business mind. And I, I'm super stubborn. So, and I like to understand things. I'm very thorough. So I'm not just going to believe energy. I'm not just going to believe something. I need to understand it. And the beauty of today is that a lot of science can, can explain a lot of things, not everything. Then there's a deeper piece of faith and intuitive knowing beyond the mind, which is important. But to begin with, I, I'm not just going to believe the the next person on Instagram that is is like talking about energy. Like I, I need to know what you're talking about. I need to know that what you're talking about, which is why I included so much research in my book. Cause I'm not a scientist. I'm not a healer. I'm not any of these things. I'm somebody who understood for myself what it meant to wake up and to integrate my intuition and use it consciously to have the life I want to have. What I noticed was in my life then, my business world especially, I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And there was nobody that I could talk to just be like, I literally am losing my mind. I don't know what's happening to me. I have no idea. I got I got to go. And so I entered this world and I had a lot of people help me along the way. And I would characterize it most easily as that spiritual ego I mentioned before. Because mm-hmm. to me, the way I define ego is that it's something that creates an acceptable identity. It lives to have an identity in relation to others and place itself in the world. And so if you remove one, it's just going to create another. And the spiritual ego starts to come up. And I noticed it because I was noticing in certain people that like call themselves gurus, that they were no different in their behavior to me as, as like any other kind of, even in a really salesy person in business, it was not very different to me. Like this approach, which can probably be broken down in sales psychology of how to persuade, how to come at, like, it's not different. They were using the same tactics. And I was like, how is that actually serving somebody? And also I didn't realize this at the time, but I have the ability to, to um, like, to feel into people mm-hmm. and I can just feel if somebody has bad motives, but I didn't know how to put words to that. And, but I could put my analytical mind to the way that these tactics were going on yes, that yes. I've been subject to. I lost my life savings to fraud because I was subsumed by that kind of psychological terrorism. And I'm like, you're doing the same thing. So how are you in a place of goodness? And what you raise, I think a very important aspect of this, which is having that prior informing experience. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes to is like, oh, ding, 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 my intuition that I now know because of being introduced to not listening to it in some kind of way. But now I know what that sounds like, feels, does to me, my body, my psyche. And so I'm recognizing the pattern and you don't need to tell me anymore. I'm out because I've already had that lesson. Yeah. The seminal experience of being showed the potential real darkness of influence. And when a leader, for whatever reason, 
absents themselves from that role of ultimate responsibility in terms of the good responsibility. So this is this is why I love that there's so many people doing this work now because 10 years ago, this conversation that you and I are having and that others that I've had on here, it wasn't really possible yeah. because it wasn't as in the forefront. Let me loop us back around. And I want to, before we, we jump into some of these other areas that I've highlighted, because they're new, some of them are new to me. Some of them are new to the podcast and words are really important. You have embraced the word sovereign in your book. You've got a chapter called Sovereign AF, as in sovereign as fuck. <laughs> yes. Right? I do. <laughs> And I used to like hashtag things, self-sovereignty, self-sovereign, this and that. And I've backed off them because this language has been co-opted by Mm. part of this darker side. Mm. So let's, and whenever something comes across and and it's about sovereignty, I have to do my due diligence because it's been co-opted by QAnon. It's been co-opted by the alt-right. It's been co-opted by the alt-wellness. So let's jump in with what do you mean by self-sovereignty? And then let's have a conversation about how that relates to um, intuition and productive intuition. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know it had been co-opted by those groups. I see. And this is one thing I will say. Research is great. And sometimes we can research ourselves out of our own path as well. But yeah, to me, sovereign is very similar to the original word, a definition of virgin, which is a person whole unto themselves, a person that is fully self-responsible, fully self-empowered, and fully self-aware. To be sovereign means to be able to practice a level of discernment that allows us to say, oh, that's a place I don't want to go. I don't trust that person. Sovereign is the epitome of, of having inner authority, which I talk about in the book, like connecting to your inner authority so that your sense of validation is internally oriented. It's always coming from within. And no matter whether it's an institution, an authority, an expert, a guru, I don't care who it is on the outside, they don't have authority over you. It's really important. People have opinions, right? They're allowed to have opinions, but you get to choose whether to listen or take action. It's totally always your choice. And it's really about understanding how powerful that choice is. Such power in choosing to say, that's not for me. And Sovereign to me is that it's just completely self-contained in the ability to decide and take action on those decisions in a fully self-responsible manner. How, and I think part of the reason that this conversation is so important is that the systems and structures in society and traditional leadership have got that inverted or or turned inside out so that everything is literally outside in and positional authority is the real thing. If somebody's your boss or if you're someone's boss or priest or teacher or have has that parent, you have that positional authority, mm-hmm. that person who doesn't have it, it's very challenging in those experiences mm-hmm. and those dynamics to assert your sovereign authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. I have a stepson and I'm just thinking about him. The expression of a teenager is to carve out their sovereignty Mm -hmm. of their personality and themselves from their parents. And that's deep uncomfortable for everybody. Yeah. So how have you, can you relate to that from either a time where you were in a position where it was difficult because of circumstance, power, or dynamic to assert that authority? 
Oh yeah. Or and to claim that space for yourself. Oh, a hundred percent. And I'm glad you bring it up because it's not like the, it's not like easy <laughs> and it's not always possible. And that's where I will always flip back to like choice and discernment because not in every situation will we be able to fully completely be free, let's say, but freedom is truly how you think of being free. It, it, it's so subjective. It's a big, it's a really big concept, but I will say this, what action can you take within a situation where you might, you don't have total control because yeah, maybe you have a boss and, and that's the way it goes, but how can you reframe it so that the choice that you're making about something is still your choice to make? It's really about shifting out of this idea that I'm a victim and into an, uh, the idea that I'm empowered to make a choice about it. Mm-hmm. And if I choose that, well, I need this job because I need the money and I don't like that said person tells me to do things in a certain way. Maybe I can talk to that person and say, hey, I don't really don't like the way you say that. Because the, the, the thing is that, right? It's the way somebody approaches it. And my whole issue with, let's say, like distorted or toxic leadership or toxic authority is that it's imposed. Like I will rise up against anything that's imposed. It's just in my nature. I hate it. Don't tell me what to do. Ask me. It's delivery. It's communication. It's really basic principles. And so that's what it is. That's respect, right? It's so much about respect. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not easy because we're, sometimes we're around people and this gets into a big topic, but sometimes we're around people that they're, they're dinks. What's your choice? Can you leave? Can that's a choice. That's yeah. a choice you can make a hundred percent. You're always right. choosing stay or go. It's a choice. And if you can't leave, do you have an opportunity to not go back? Right. If you can't leave in that, I know this is intangible talk, but I, I can think of any number of, of situations where it's been like, I don't have the power to change this right now but I certainly don't need to participate in the future or I don't need to talk myself out of it and make it okay in order to belong and be in that external validation. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what to go back to the guru stuff and like the toxic Mm -hmm. on that side is they're preying on same as extremists preying on your sense of wanting to belong. And that is a hundred percent, when you're in external validation, which is why the practice is always to come back and to love yourself so much that you trust yourself and you trust that within you, that authority that's within you. And and so discernment, it's so much of it is discernment and like, in like understanding like, oh, do I want that person's validation? And it's okay if you do, this is like a no shame exercise. Like you got to ditch all that shame. If you do, that's fine. Ask yourself why. We don't go into that shadow piece. We don't go into the pieces that feel sticky and yucky, but that's exactly where we're going to find all our answers and so much of our freedoms. Just go right in there and just say like, why do I want this? Why do I want that person's approval or validation? What is it in me? And usually it's what's lacking is self-love. And I know that sounds like such a platitude, but it's true because Love is not just a mushy thing, but it's like loving yourself as in loving the strength of yourself, being strong in yourself, trusting yourself. Just like, I got this. There's so much to love that is, is just being grateful for being alive. 
There's so many things to it. And when we start to redirect all that energy from out there into in here, and we give that to ourselves, it's a very powerful ongoing practice that rewires everything from the brain to our emotional responses and all the way out to an energetic and a spiritual place, because we start to feel very differently about ourselves. And then all of a sudden there's apparent magic. There's the ability to manifest things. There's the ability to call in what you need to command the universe, like truly, but you got to go in first. As I'm listening, I'm intuiting that one of the ways that we can be of service is to talk about what it's like to, and I have a reference here from the book. I might flip it open while I'm listening to you, but I made a note about your early awakening stage. This can apply for anybody because we're always, we're coming back around like that spiral of come back around yes. to either not leveling up, but growth and expanding. But this what this goes down to, you're referring to an early part of your process and it's in the chapter on meaning and alignment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when I first started going through the awakening process, I imagined that I'd given up my real life, my financial career and my place in society. I eschewed materialism and embarrassingly judged my world for being a left brain matrix enslavement culture of evil white men. Of course, I now understand how harmful that line of judgmental reasoning is. And at the time, I thought everything about me was wrong because that had been my unconscious understanding of the world I operated and I operated within it. Like an iceberg, I had only been focused on the small portion of what was visible above the waterline when the bulk, the breadth, and the depth of who I truly am was beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. And I made a note and something I'm exploring and to put into some kind of a construct around, and I'm in my mind, I'm calling it spiritual maturity, mm. right? Like in that early stage where we have to throw off the old and really throw it off yeah. before finding a way to put it back on again. Yeah. And maybe that's the process. I know it was mine. Like I like again, and it went into like judgment because that's exactly what the ego does. It tries to find something or somebody else to blame. And then it's hold on. And then when I finally came back around to realizing that nothing about my past was like bad and I had didn't do anything wrong. And when I actually started to truly revisit myself in the past, like using the compassionate re-experiencing that I do, that I've developed, and that is a chapter in the book, is that I was like, I forgot about that. I wasn't telling myself the story about the good things because I had just zeroed in on all the bad things. That's what we do. We're like one single-pointed focus. That's the ego. And it's never going to, and it's it, it, and it's not going to try to expand perception. That's the realm of, I'll call it soul or just like an empowered psyche, just to hold on a minute. I'm not, I can't believe that I had that all wrong. And even though maybe there's like times in our lives where we do things and we didn't have the best intentions, fine. We like, no one's an angel, but for the most part, the things that we think of ourselves as being so horrible and we're such horrible people are just outright lies that we tell ourselves. Yeah, I think there is something to it. And I wish somebody, and, and I think as I'm, I'm thinking a lot about, okay, what would responsible community building look like? What would responsible guidance and leadership look like? 
And I know what it wouldn't look like. It wouldn't look like all the a ton of sales tactics followed yeah. by dripping out a pearl of half baked wisdom now and again. And then you want the other half of it, you pay for the next thing. There's so many examples of what it's not. But if somebody said, okay, you're going to go on a bit of a journey here Mm. when some of your blinders come off or all of them at once. And Mm. there's going to be this stage and the stage is it's, it could be compared to almost childlike because you're going to reject or teenager, you're going to reject what was familiar and you're going to dive into the new. And for a time, you're going to put on the goggle of the new, but the real growth comes next when you start to integrate it. Mm-hmm. I, like these are the, com- this is the type of, to me, that's treating somebody like a peer Yeah. to, to lay out a process. Yeah. Which is why I appreciate how you've shared your journey. Oh, thank you. It's pretty transparent from that point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, what I've learned too is that the best I can do is share my story. Like I can only be an authority over myself. That's it. I have no authority over anybody else. We don't. We have societal constructs that tell us that there is such a thing, but truly there's not because there's stories of whether it's prisoners or monks or or people who've suffered greatly, but always felt very free because they never let whatever they were going through externally take away their sense of sovereignty of of self-responsibility. And that doesn't mean that you succumb or that you're a victim, And but that's where we go in our minds. And we have to eradicate that is one of the most important things that we can do is to take full responsibility for everything that's going on because Mm -hmm. our reaction to it is that thing and making a different choice. And it's a lot of work and it's not naturally how we operate. But when we do start to operate there, what I found in my experience is like where I started as wanting the validation from other people. Look, I have some, look at this wisdom I have to share. Look at me. I have so much wisdom to like, to really just realizing that I, to serve, I don't want to tell anybody what to do. And that's not what I want to do, but I can serve by showing up constantly doing my work, sharing my story because I'm called to, there's a deeper part of me that this is, part of it and to share what I've learned because when we learn something, when we wake up to anything, it's so exciting because it's just like a little sense of freedom, right? We all have it. And when something good happens to you, you want to tell other people because you're just like, look, but you too, you can have it too, except we get distorted in wanting to change that person instead yeah, of to prescribe to prescribe. Yeah. Instead of just That's offering true. and letting yeah. them do with it what they will. Or even like, and, and the this is, I don't want this to sound cliche, but I'm going to say like being the change. Yes. Instead of preaching the change. Yeah. That's been a real, that, that, that's been a real moment for me to look at. Where am I not being it? That's what sat my ass down and got me writing and, mm. and pulling out my camera again. Because when I explored those early days of my journey, Every single time I did an exercise or wrote in my journal, which I wrote copious amounts, I'm a note taker. Mm-hmm. Every single time it was always about designing my life so that I could travel more, bring photography into it, leave my consulting and life. I'd already left corporate life 
and and to live a more creative existence. And at no point in time was go on a giant self-help journey. And that, so I've really had to look at that. And yet, obviously, there's a story that needs to be perpetuated and told in order for the lessons to eventually finally come. So it's mm-hmm. like straddling both mm-hmm. of those worlds. Let's dig into the title of your book. You've called it Productive Intuition. The book has chapters on um, wisdom of the body, wisdom of the heart. There's a whole, I want to talk to you about the heart and all of that. But like this idea of what intuition brings to being, quote unquote, productive, Mm. that you've chosen it as your title. So it's obviously Mm. meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. Please share where that comes from and how you develop that. Sure. Um, It's a bit of a function of what appear to be two opposites, productivity being really linear and intuition being nonlinear. And so it, it really encompasses my whole journey, which is integrating. And it's integrating the left brain and the right brain. It's integrating my ego human self with my spiritual divine self. That's been my understanding. And so it's a play on paradox and the integration of paradox. And I think it's Carl Jung who says that like paradox is one of the greatest spiritual tools that we have and like entering that paradox and understanding that they're not separate. And that's really, it's a really important thing because there's so much binary thinking. It doesn't matter what world you're in. It's binary. This is right. This is wrong. And that's where we get tripped up, where it's totally tripped up. And, and so the realization for me around intuition was that all the times that things went horribly wrong, I didn't listen to my intuition. And then, so I explored that first because I tend to go there first. I, for whatever reason, like I just go into that because it's, we also are wired towards negativity too in our brain. So we go there first, but then I took a step okay, back. And I said, can I just interject yeah. to say, if you're going to learn something, you might as well <laughs> learn that. Right. Yeah. Right? That, like, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is true. Yeah. And then once you've had your fill of the horribly wrong stuff. Yeah, all the horribly <laughs> wrong. And when you're sick of shaming yourself and blaming yourself, then you might take a step back of a glass of wine and say, how did I get it right? And when I went into how did I get it? Oh my God, everything went, wait a second. All the best things, which is like 99% of my life. I was listening to my intuition. So no, it's not true that I didn't have it or I wasn't listening to it. I a hundred percent was just not a hundred percent of the time. And so that led me into this world of, Oh, but how was I doing it? I don't want to do it by accident. I want to do it intentionally. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the book so that I was like, how did I do that? How does the mind factor in and how do emotions factor in and definitely the heart and energy and spirit and all the, it's, And I was like, we are hardwired for intuition and we just need to notice it more because it's constantly speaking to us. And by design, I didn't make the book super spiritual because that wasn't the point of it. Mm -hmm. There are other people who have written incredible spiritual books that, and I referenced like a lot of stuff, right? You saw in every chapter has go deeper. There's so many because like it's a composite of, of things, but it's my understanding and it's how I present it. And so that's really like productive intuition is also that. I have been very successful. I continue to be very successful, highs and lows, like we all do. But on the whole, I'm really successful. I'm productive in the sense of 
I'm not like, like an output quantity person, but to me, productivity is creativity. It's generativity. It's getting what I want. It's making change. It's making an impact. That to me is productive. How can I be productive with this gift that is my life? How do I serve? And that's how I define productivity. One of the things that I want to make sure that we have time to cover in the book, you talk about the energetic body and I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Interoception. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also you talk about working with biology and for biological rhythms. Mm. And, uh, and so I thought that would be a real, I've never covered that with anyone here on the podcast before. And uh, I would really love to open that as part of our conversation. So let's talk about the energetic body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really only lightly touched on it because it's, it's libraries of books about this and my understanding from some training that I've done, I've done a, like yoga psychology training and chakra training, and like, I've learned things and I, I'm like, a, like an autodidact as well. It's always learning and researching and you see it across all cultures. And it's really hard to pin down and where I've landed on it is, is that Sometimes this, when we talk about feeling things and it's when it's not, there's like emotional feelings and then there's like physical feelings. There's also energetic feeling. Like when you're around, let's say you're in a good mood and you might think that's emotional, but it's actually also energetic. And this is one of the primary ways that I understand if somebody or something is a yes or no. It's based on whether I feel elevated or whether I feel depressed in my level of energy, just purely, it's a different feeling sense. And if you follow like a chakra system with the the knowledge there around them being like energy centers, which rolls into the quantum. So this can get really complex, but on a quantum level, everything is energy. One posits that we are also energetic. And so at a physical level, we're physical, but we're actually energetic. And so noticing that within ourselves is a really important practice. And then there's specific Mm -hmm. things about energy body. So that's how I, that's how I use it. And of course, trainings and studies that I've done, but I don't want to present myself as any kind of expert in that. Yeah. I just, I wanted to bring it up because it, it, I, this idea of this introception or this inner perception that we can strengthen and tune maybe not strength and may not be the correct um, word, but that we can tune into just like, I'm not really paying attention to how my right hand is feeling, but if I really stop and slow down and focus on my right hand for a few minutes, I will start to notice how my right hand feels. Yeah. Just as as a very like spur of the moment example yeah. There, it occurred to me that there's got to be parity there. There has to be, which is partly why I have a meditation practice because it provides me with that when I'm really on it half hour of the day to just allow me to feel my insides, to feel, yeah. to feel my breathing, feel my energy and check in. So that just seems so it, it's intangible, but it's, it's not so intangible if it, if that makes totally. any freaking yeah, sense. and that's what I was saying about like the energy thing is like a felt sense, but it's not emotional and it's not 
physical, but those sensations that you feel are, are energy. It's like little, it's like little tingling or, or just that's energy. And we are a body of energy in addition to a physical body and a mental body and an emotional body. And, and then interoception is such a great term. I first learned it when I read The Body Keeps the Score, which is one of the books I reference in my book. It's, it's a heavy book. It's a must read. If there's like a couple books that people absolutely need to read if they want to understand themselves and humans and humanity and behavior, that's one of them. Incredible book. And he talks about interoception and yeah, this idea of taking your awareness inside, like two internal sensations like two emotions. And you can take that in multiple different directions, but it's always coming. We're always coming back to being in, being with ourselves because we are the nexus of everything in our lives. And and so the noticing, like you're saying, if I stop to take the time to notice, and that's usually all it takes is a very conscious pause in what we're doing to stop and notice, how do I feel how did that land? Am I getting some message from myself about it? If we would all pause more, truly, we'd probably suffer less because we would be able to really discern what our body, our mind, our intuition is telling us. And it's a powerful practice to to be with ourselves and to try to do that on a daily basis. And yeah, so interoception is a more tangible way of saying it's a tangible sort of self-reflection, but based on how your body feels and how yes. your emotions feel. It's another example or, or way to, to be in that coming from the inside out space and tuning in. I find that lately, as I'm trying to put some words to a few things, that it, and it seems like even more, everything has just got amped up in this last year with the pandemic. And it's just ripped the lid off of so many systemic issues above and beyond the, the systemic issues that were coming to the forefront anyways. So there's so much coming at people from the, the outside. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the leaders now and you're a leader, I'm a leader and people are having to navigate either in a business environment, a family environment, and and a leader is really responsible for for the well-being or performance or literal health and life of other people. Mm-hmm. How do you think about where leadership has been in terms of old paradigm leadership and and where it's going? Mm-hmm. Oh, such a good question. Yeah, and COVID really broke the lid open on true leadership. And I think we're most definitely moving out of a purely hierarchical form of leadership into a very horizontal mode of leadership and leadership that that is open and authentic as in willing to admit that it doesn't know everything, (laughs) willing to admit that it's learning, willing to admit the opinions and the experience of others, leadership that is unafraid of admitting that it doesn't know. Like leadership is the ability to inspire. If we're talking about leading others, it's the ability to inspire. And most importantly, it's the ability to lead yourself. Because again, the only person that's going to follow you is you. And so you have to be able, if you have any 
want of influence on others, you can only take them as far as you're willing to take yourself. So how far are you willing to go in yourself? And the more we go in ourselves and the more we see ourselves and the more we live into the fullness of our story, the more we come back and go, yeah, wow, I'm still learning who I am. If you want to be with me on this journey, let's do it. But I am not here to tell you who you are. And in the business sense, leadership has altered to be more human. Zoom made everybody more human. (laughs) Like in a really practical (laughs) sense, like it was like dogs and kids and bedrooms and really bad angles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like lighting and like not putting mute on when you go to the toilet, like things like really like things like that, where suddenly it, there's a permission to be a a, hundred percent human being and not to look like my headshot to act like what my headshot looks like or what somebody conceives. I'm on LinkedIn a lot for work, of course. And sometimes you have people that will comment on some people's posts and say, that doesn't belong here. LinkedIn is just for work. And you've misunderstood. LinkedIn is a community. And if I can't show you 100% of who I am, that's okay. That's That's your opinion. But to create this very limited idea of what anything is or should be is the whole problem. Yeah. And that's actually, that that reminds me of when I was uh, in the corporate world and my dissonance, I did not have these words for this back then because I left teaching when I was just, just turning 30. Mm. And that's honest to God, that's almost 25 years ago, but <laughs> you look amazing. Did, thank you. you. But how did yeah. that happen? <laughs> But anyways, <laughs> but, but the dissonance on coming from an environment of when you're a teacher and I was teaching high school, so it's like skin to the pavement every single day. I was not, and I was a young teacher too. All I had really was just showing up and being feisty and commanding respect because I didn't have the status or stature or even mm-hmm. really look that much older than they did. And so from that to corporate where literally I I often think of that movie, a league of their own, where there's no crying in baseball. Like in my corporate world, and I just may have dated us, sorry. It's a great movie to see that Tom Hanks moment. I was like, there's no crying in baseball. And he's, but he's coaching, like people cry for all kinds of different reasons. Yeah. And like emotion Mm -hmm. was not appreciated. And that's when I was navigating depression at that time. And so that meant my eventual departure from that world because it there was just nothing there that was going to support what I needed it to be. And lots of great, it was very difficult, but it, lots of great stuff came with it. But I really do think that ethic, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear you say that you see that this is how, where it's going. I think that, I think there, it's still a very mixed bag out there because it is. it's a big world and there's a lot of entrenched behavior and structure and and so forth. But I think Mm -hmm. people coming up now, maybe they won't have to leave in order to survive. Maybe they'll be able to say, Hey, I've seen that this isn't right. This isn't the way, and I'm going to lead differently and advance differently. Yeah. And what that brings up too, is to go back to what we were saying about leaving and choice is that it is a mixed bag. And I can tell people, I work in the investment industry and There's a lot of amazing people, very awake people doing incredible work. 
building their wealth, but also doing a lot of other amazing things. There are a lot of people out there that you can choose. If you're working, let me put it this way. If you're working for somebody and they're mistreating you, you can leave and you can find people who don't ascribe to that archaic idea of leadership. They're, they're, they are out there. You have to be willing to look for them and to admit that and to open up to it. Every time I've left a job or a career, I've always ended up somewhere else that isn't necessarily better, but it kind of is better than where I was mm-hmm. before. There's a whole big conversation around leaving and death and grieving and, and like being afraid of leaving something that you know. And then, but what if something better's on the horizon? And like right now, I know that the media is telling us that so many things are bad. And yes, there's a lot of things that are not good, but there's so much that is. Mm-hmm. There's so much that is. And if you seek it, you will find it. And I'm so optimistic for the present and for the future. And that's where I place my focus on what can I do to do better? Not because I've not done well. Not because there's... of that old shamey, yeah. self-punishing, yeah. self-flagellation yeah. thing. Yeah. This it's is a not, totally yeah. different kind of better. Yeah. It's not the binary of better or worse or good or bad, but it's like, there's so much opportunity right now. There's so much opportunity out there. It's just out there. You can grab it. And and it's so important for people to know this, to know that if there's a thought in there that's telling you otherwise, please go explore it. It's probably not even yours. If you actually drill down to where did that come from? Where did I first hear it? Why do I believe it? And then see if you can believe it's opposite by finding proof, which is everywhere to its opposite. And then go in that direction, go in that direction, take a step in that direction, because that step energetically, spiritually, metaphysically sets you on a different path. It tells your brain, go here, go find me that. And it will. Yeah. And, and I'll even share that that time in my life when I left corporate, my first step was a bit of a, it was a bit of a misstep, but it opened, it got me the distance that I needed in order to grab, to get to the next thing. And it becomes a part of trusting that it, it is well, trusting that what you're hearing from within you, if you think that you're in a bad environment or that things aren't going well, it, it, like you said, it may not be you. It may be time to look further afield. Yeah. Oh, you said something really important, which is the interim, right? Cause we're in such a hurry to get to the end place or the best place or the, the be all and end all relationship or what have you. There are stepping stones, And you named that when you said there's transitions and a transitionary period can be long. It can be short. It's usually uncomfortable and it's helps us get clear. Mm -hmm. It's really this churning period. Oh, I just had this vision when you're like churning like ice cream. So hot right now. I want an ice cream. And, but before it becomes ice cream, it's just being churned and it's being like spun around by the thing. And then eventually it becomes ice cream. But the transition period is like that, where we're churning, we're like trying to figure it out. We're not clear and that's okay. And like stay with the process. Like eventually you're, you're going to get your big, beautiful, like ice cream because that's the process every single time. And like honoring the transitions and welcoming them in and letting them be okay. Because 
again, if we don't, if we're not really present to the process, then we're, we are actually going to have missteps, mostly because we're going to believe that we have to get to the end goal yesterday. And that's just simply not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. The going inside instead of that whole forcing thing. Adapia, I feel like we could just have a part one, two, three, four, and, <laughs> and more here. This has been fun. This has been such a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for bringing all aspects of your story and being so willing to share and go there. It's been thoroughly enjoyable. Oh, thank you, Laura. I really appreciate you so much. Like you read my whole book and it's a big book. <laughs> like It's probably like three books in one, but I really appreciate how thoughtful you are and, and, and like how focused and how clear you are and like bringing a guest on that. It's not just like, here's another guest. Just, I really appreciate you bringing all of yourself and I can really feel this new direction for you is I can sense it. It's like, it's, it's power. Yeah, it feels there's a potency that is equally exhilarating and equally, I'm not sure what the other word is right now, but it's, it's got my <laughs> <Terrifying>. juices up. <laughs> <laughs> That's that paradox. Get in yeah, that totally. says, get in there. Totally. This will actually be a wonderful, at, tr- speaking of interim and transition, this turned into a, a perfect episode to to set that up. So thank you for so much for being willing and and for recognizing the effort because I am a holdout. I'm I just I can't be part of the mill. I'm not going to be a content mill. Although sometimes it feels a little bit like it's no, I got to read it. I want to get to the the meat and the core. Thanks for putting out some work of substance. Oh, thank you so Big much. Big gratitude. Yeah, for you too. Thanks. <laughs> And thank you for being here. I know you've got a ton of choice in the podcast universe. If you found this conversation or other episodes of For Your Inner Guru to be valuable, I have a request. There's three things that help a podcast grow. The first is when you tell other podcast listeners about For Your Inner Guru and spread the word. The second is when you subscribe on your podcast app or at freeyourinnerguru.com. And the third is when you leave a rating and a review. If you'd like to actively support the podcast, please visit freeyourinnerguru.com where you can shop the t-shirts, hoodies, and notebooks, become a supporting patron, and learn more about the leadership community. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.